0: This is KMTT, Tuesday, Parashat Shavua will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. Yosef recognized his brothers, however they did not recognize him. Yosef remembered those dreams which he had dreamt, and I assume, had told to them, Vayoma Alehemli said to them, Muraglimatem, you are spies, Lirot et ervata batem, you have come to see the land in its nakedness. These are the words, and this is the depiction of the scene when Yosef meets up with his brothers after all those years away from them as he has risen to the top of government in Egypt. And confronted with the arrival of his brothers, Yosef subjects them to an endless chain of harassments. He torments them. He imposes quite a, a, a harsh intimidation. And he leads them through tortuous moral conflicts. It is not only his brothers that Yosef uh, torments. He inflicts his father with, with great suffering and anxiety. And he forces his aging father Yaakov through a heartbreaking dilemma as he, he makes him take a decision to part from Benjamin, wrenching the young Benjamin from his father's arms towards the dark unknown territory of Mitzrayim. We, we watch on as the family go through this heartache and agony uh, and it seems like Yosef inflicts this enormous tension on every member of his family he, he strains all the emotionally raw ties and and therefore the question has been asked before but we, we, we have to ponder about it once again this year why does Yosef do it? why does Yosef subject his family to this, this tale of woe? is he having fun? is he getting his revenge? is he, is he heartless? what is he trying to do? Now many have turned their attention to this uh, question and I'm going to relate to a few approaches but then I'm actually going to turn to a more literary approach and examine some of the fabric, some of the texture of the psukim for some clues. But uh, let us begin with a few classic approaches uh, which are famous. The first is the Ramban, Nachmanides, in his Perushalat Torah The Ramban claims that the purpose of Yosef's manipulation of the family is actually that he wants to fulfill his boyhood dreams. If you recall, uh, Yosef had dreamt in his first dream that the brother's sheaves would bow down to his sheaf. And as the Psukim say, Mm -hmm. Yosef remembered his dreams when he sees his brothers bowing down to him, he says, Oh my goodness! My dream, my first dream has come true. I'd forgotten about those dreams all those years ago in Canaan. But look, it's come true. And therefore, everything he does after this is a device in order to make the second dream come true. The second dream which has not only his brothers bearing to him, but his father and mother. Now, of course, his mother is dead. So he has to bring his father down. And uh, everything that Yosef does from this point on aims to fulfill his second dream. Now, of course, the Ramban's approach has been criticized deeply and roundly. And uh, the Akedat Yitzchak turns around to the Ramban and says, how can you say such a thing? Obviously, if God gives dreams to Yosef, he makes them come true. Uh, Just like the first dream came true through no devices of Yosef, Yosef doesn't need to work to make the second dream come true. Whoever gave the dream, he will supply its fulfillment, and therefore for Yosef to engage in morally dubious activities, putting his father, making his father into a into a mourner for all these years, torturing his brothers, that certainly is not ethically uh, correct. So the Ramban has an interesting approach, um, but it's rejected by the Akida Yitzchak. And, and many other approaches have been suggested, uh, maybe I'll mention quickly, um the opinion of Raviol bin Nun. Raviol bin Nun claims that we essentially have a, a comedy of errors, where Yosef has thought, ever since he was thrown into that pit, that the family as a whole had orchestrated to sell him down to Egypt, that the brothers had convinced Yaakov that Yosef was a incurable troublemaker, and that in the same manner as Avraham had rejected Ishmael, and Yitzhak had to reject Esav, the brothers had convinced Yaakov that Yosef had to go, and Rav Yol proves this from the name Menasheh, which indicates um, Yosef gives his son the name Menasheh. Kinashani Elokim at Kol Amalibet Kol Beit says Yosef, I've forgotten all of my suffering and my father's house. Why would Yosef want to forget his father's house? Why didn't he send a message home? The answer, because because he thought his father had rejected him of course his father hasn't rejected him when the comedy of errors is the fact that Yaakov thinks he's dead but Yosef doesn't know this so Yosef is wondering why doesn't Yaakov come to get me and Yaakov is thinking that Yosef is dead and only later on in the story certain clues that the brothers leave make Yosef try to bring somebody down to Egypt who can help clear up clear up this cloudy situation and give him the truth uh, this is a quite a novel approach um, I think there are certain problems with this approach but it's certainly fascinating a third approach is that of the Abarbanel where the Abarbanel claims that Yosef sends his brothers through a process of atonement and repentance he says that Yosef uh, saw how the brothers had done such a severe act selling Yosef was a supreme low point in the family, and Yosef saw it his responsibility to help the brothers do tshuva, to somehow atone for what they had done. Now, I think the same critique that is leveled as the Ramban can be leveled at the Abarbanel. Of course, is it Yosef's responsibility to play God, and to make sure that the brothers atone for their actions? However, what I'm going to try and show today, in today's class, today's shiur, is the fact that the text actually does demonstrate uh, the way that there is an element of tshuva in this story. And whether it, the architect of this tshuva is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or whether it is Yosef, whether it happens deliberately or incidentally, um, the way that the story is written very clearly demonstrates that it is touching upon many of the raw nerves and many of the mistakes that happened all that time ago when Yosef was sold. And that the family are going through some um, rerun of the events which happened all those 22 years ago, in order that they can somehow make a tikkun, they can do tshuva, they can make some improvement. And I'm going to try and demonstrate this through many of the different passages which are written here, and show through the careful use of language and narrative the way that uh, the brothers are actually engaging in a in a process of uh, tshuva. Coming to terms with the events that happened before, and rising above them. So let's try and take a look at the text. If you have a Chumash, you can open it at chapter 42, Perek Membet, where... Sorry, actually, we need to look... Oh no, we're good. Perik Membet. Um, what we see here is the brothers coming down to Egypt for the first time, and it says, The ten brothers of Yosef came down to Mitzrayim, and it's so interesting that here they are called Ache Yosef. The reason why I say that is because in the previous Pasuk, Yaakov sends the brothers down, and it doesn't call them Ache Yosef, it says, They are Jacob's sons, Yaakov's sons, but here Vayerdu achy Yosef asara lishpor ba'Am Yisrael. They are the brothers of Yosef. Vet Binyamin achy Yosef. And Benjamin, the brother of Yosef, lo shalach Yehakov et Echav. Yaakov would not send him with his brethren. Ki Amar Penyikra en Arson. He was worried that they would come. To, he would come to some sort of harm. And later on, in Pasuk Vav, it says once again as they enter Egypt. Vayavo achy Yosef. Why is this interesting? The way the brothers are depicted here are the brothers of Yosef. We understand, as we read through, that they are going for a rendezvous with the man they sold, with their younger brother Yosef, and this is, this is bound to happen. This is, this is set for a collision course. Of course, what underscores all of this is the fact that there is one brother who has been left, to, left home, and he is Achi Yosef the brother, both from father and mother of Yosef. And this indicates to us that Binyamin is not kept home just because he's the youngest. He's kept home because he is that son of Rachel. In other words, the favoritism of the Bnei Rachel, just like Rachel was the favorite wife, Yosef was the favorite son because he was Rachel's son. Likewise, Binyamin, who is Achi Yosef, he is not only now the Son of Rachel, but the brother of Yosef. Yaakov is still playing favorites, and he still holds the, the, the sons of Rachel close, close to him. So things haven't fully changed in the family. And now the brothers are going, Achay Yosef, A-chi Yosef, The brothers are going for their meeting with their long lost brother. Maybe I should add one other point here. The word brother in this story is is, is very resonant. Let's remember the last time Yosef met his brothers. He was sent by his father. et et Go seek the, the, the good of your brothers. And when he finds a man in the field and he needs to find his brothers, he says, Etachai I seek my brothers. And it says in the next pasuk, Yosef achar echav. In other words, Yosef has been seeking his brothers. It was when he was actually seeking his brothers and seeking the peace of his brothers. And one wonders whether Yaakov sent him there to even make amends to his brothers. That is the moment at which he was sold. And now, this same word, ach, the same word for brother, is used in a double, a double tone. It's used on the one hand that these are the brothers of Yosef who are now going to have their showdown at some level with Yosef. But at the same time, uh, we understand that there is another brother at home who is the Ach Yosef. And this word already, this simple word of Ach, raises all the tensions which took place all those years ago, raises them right back to the surface. Then we encounter another fascinating word. It says, He recognized them. However, he acted as a nechar, as a foreigner to them. And it repeats again in the next Pasuk, Pasuk Yosef lo hikiruhu. Again, this word reminds us of something, the word V'yaker, because it is exactly the same word the brothers used when they brought Yosef's blood-stained coat to their father, and they said, Father, do you recognize this? Please identify Hakatonet bin law Is this the coat of your son or not? The brothers, the last time that word was used, Haker were actually covering up for their crime of the sale, and they were asking their father, "What do you recognize? Do you recognize if this is your son's?" And now this same word is being used. Yosef recognizes his brothers, but they do not recognize him. One wonders whether. What's it saying? Does Yosef, what is he recognizing about his brothers? Is Yosef saying, I am your brothers, but you do not recognize me as your brothers? When does a brother relate to the other brother as Vayaker, he recognized him? And when does Vayaker turn into Vayitnaker, to become alien, foreign, opposing, hidden, unbrotherly? And therefore, this interesting interplay between Vayaker, that dreadful word, that dreadful word which led to Yaakov descending into endless mourning, inconsolable sorrow, that was the word Vayaker, which was used back in chapter 37 in Perak Lamed Zion, Pasuk, um, Pasuk Lamed Bet Lamed Gimel, he recognized the coat and said, It is my son's coat. An animal must have eaten him. And now, once again, Yosef uses the same word, He acts in an alien manner. In the same way as the brothers acted alien to him. In other words, the relationships stirring. They're unsettling. In the next scene... Uh, Yosef uh, tells his brothers that they are spies and he starts playing around with them. It's actually interesting the way he deals with it. He says, one It's interesting that Yosef's original plan is that all the brothers should be incarcerated In Egypt, and only one should go to get Binyamin. And he keeps them in jail for three days uh, till they comply with this plan. It is apparent that after three days, no one is willing to step forward. None of the brothers are willing to confront Yaakov and say, The whole family is in jail in Egypt, you have to send Binyamin with me. And therefore, Yosef loosens his uh, grip on the brothers and he offers them a different offer saying you can all go back but one person will remain in jail with me but it is at this point when everybody is imprisoned um, that we hear the brothers talking to each other and this is what they say ish el-achiv. one of the brothers said to the other or they each said to each other Aval we are guilty we are guilty about our brother, because we saw his distress, when he cried out to us, Shamanu, and we did not listen, we did not heed his cries, You know why we're being punished? We're being punished because all those years ago, and when I say all those years ago, I'm talking about 22 years earlier, when they had been far younger, and probably far more stupid, they say, we are guilty for our brother because we saw his distress when he pleaded with us and we, our, we were deaf to his cries and that's why we're having this, this trouble. And at that point, Muroven says, "Hello, Don't you remember I said to you then, mor, al Don't harm the child. And now his blood is being demanded. This is an amazing, amazing scene. I'll tell you why it's so amazing. When you turn back again to Perak Lamad Zion, you see Yosef in the pit. We hear no mention of Yosef pleading or Yosef crying. All we see is that they they take him, they throw him into a cistern, it is empty of water so he doesn't drown, he is in the cistern, and that's it. And they sit down to have a meal. The brothers seem calm, at ease. They throw him into a pit. They sit and have lunch. That's it. I would venture to say that all those years ago, 22 years ago, when they were so filled with fury and indignation towards Yosef, they didn't hear his cries at all. They were deaf to his cries. They didn't hear a word. They were sitting having lunch and enjoying their meal and laughing. However now, 22 years later, after they themselves have been accused and imprisoned in Egypt, we hear them having a conversation between each other, and they actually say, we're guilty for our brother that we saw his distress. And here let me read to you a couple of lines from the famous uh, academic, uh, Meir Weiss. And this is what he says about this, this scene. He says, the recalling of this long buried episode here at this juncture, represents the awakening of the brother's conscience. Yosef's heart-rending pleas for mercy, more than they emanate from the pit, now well up from the depths of their own heart. This constitutes the underlying intention of the narrative in citing this detail here. It is meant to reveal what is going on in the consciousness of the brothers at that moment, indicating their remorse. I'll put it very, very simply. What's happening here is, that 22 years ago they didn't hear his cries. And now, now their hearts are softened. Now for the first time, the cries are penetrating. It's an amazing, amazing moment where we see this first sense of tshuva, the sense of hakarat achet, the sense that they understand what they've done. They understand it in, in, in the fullness of its implication. So this is just one very interesting scene where we see the brothers suddenly from the opening lines, which raise the question of brothers and brothers, who is the Ahi and who are the Ahay who is Vayaker, who recognizes, and who is Ker who makes themselves unrecognizable, who doesn't recognize them as a brother. Suddenly we see, just a few psukim later here, that they are recognizing Yosef as their brother, because for the first time in 22 years, they are suddenly paying attention to the fact that he was yelling and screaming and begging for his life from that pit. Except until this moment, those cries didn't penetrate their hearts. And now I'm going to turn to a much later scene in the story, which I, but I, I want to express the drama in this scene, and try and explain how this, uh, how this scene also figures in the process of chula We all remember how uh, Reuven fails to convince his father to bring down Binyamin. Yosef has demanded they will get no more grain until uh, Binyamin is brought down and uh, the the food has run out. Reuven already tried. He tried to convince his father with a rather feeble uh, offer that if he doesn't bring Binyamin home, two of his children will be killed. And now Yehuda takes responsibility. He says, (inaudible) Anochi erevenu miyadito bakshenu I promise you, Father, I will bring him back to you. If I don't bring him back to you, I will sin to you all my life. And he convinces his father. However, in a rather strange turn of uh, detail, which doesn't seem to be important, by Yom Ha'alehem Yisrael Avihem, their father said to them, I'm reading here from Perek Mem Gimel Pasuk Yud chapter 43, verse 11. He says, Imkain, if you are going to go down, this is what you should do. Take from the fruit of the land, literally the song of the land, this is what you should take to him. He gives him a list of things to bring. And take double money, he says to them, etc, etc. Uh, interestingly, the notion of kesef mishneh, double money. Um, and your brother, in other words, Binyamin, who is your brother, go back to the man. And let God give you mercy. The reason why I'm drawing on this is not only because of the way Yaakov talks to them is the fact that Yosef is their brother, but I want to pay attention to this gift. Where else have we seen these materials? The tsari, the duvash, the nechaot balot. And if you're a, if you're used to reading the Torah closely, you will remember it very clearly. When Yosef is sold into slavery again, back to chapter 37, Peraklamad Zion, he was, he was brought down to Egypt in a, in a caravan, which was a trade caravan, taking uh, all manner of goods to down to Egypt and it says there in a seemingly extraneous verse Perak Lamadzaim Pasul Khaf says Vinay orach or Khat Ishma'ilim Bami Gilad there is a Yishma caravan coming from the Gilad, Ugumalehem Nosim and their camels are carrying Nchot Utzrivalot or Kim Lahoribitzraima. They're taking uh Nchot Utzrivalot these um gum balm and ladanum, um, in order to take down to, to Egypt. Now these substances, these trading substances, are in that caravan. Their smells waft through as Yosef is being down, taken down to Egypt. Those are the smells that Yosef smells. Those are the substances which are being brought down. And now Yaakov, and how could Yaakov ever know? Yaakov says take down these products, take down this gift, to this mysterious man, this troublesome man in Egypt. Take down exactly those things. He adds a few things into the list. He adds in tavash, But he says, take ma'atzari, ma'atzavash, Nuchot valot. The same thing. He tells them to take down the same gum, the same ladanum, the same balm. In other words, how should I put it? Binyamin is traveling down to Egypt with exactly the same smells wafting around him as Yosef did 22 years earlier. Binyamin is a surrogate to Yosef. Binyamin is standing there in exactly in the place of Yosef. Now, however, the brothers are taking responsibility for him. The brothers are fulfilling their responsibility, and it is here that I want to examine um, the the very the cliffhanging scene at the end of the parsha. Where Yosef frames Binyamin for stealing his, his cup. Yosef um, frames him and the question is what is Yosef trying to do? And I think this is where the entire plan comes to a climax with this, uh, story obviously of the goblet and, and, you heard a speech which comes after it. Uh, what exactly is going on? I think, uh, the, the, the test really is obviously Are the brothers going to leave Binyamin in slavery or are they going to seek to protect him? And of course what is behind here is how do they relate to this story sorry, how do they relate to this son of Rachel? This is a full son of Rachel how are they going to relate to him? Now, here there is a very clear parallel of an earlier story in Sefer Breshit and that is the story where Lavan pursues Yaakov as Yaakov is running away from Lavan's house. And if you remember the story there, there there is also somebody who is a thief. Somebody steals an object from Lavan. And who is that? That is obviously Rachel. Rachel steals Lavan's, so to speak, gods, the Trophim. And if you you look at the storylines, the storylines are amazingly parallel. In each case, the stolen goods are held by the youngest. Rachel is the youngest, and so is Benjamin. In each case, there is an accusation and a search for stolen goods. And if you think about it, the scene is exactly the same. People are running away. Uh, in the first case, is Yaakov and his family are running away. They're running away from danger and they're running back to their father, back to their their homeland. In this case, the brothers are running away from the danger of Egypt and they're also running back to their homeland. And they, in both cases, they think. They've left their troubles behind them. They think the coast is clear. And suddenly people chase them and unexpectedly confront them. And uh, when you look at the stories, they're amazingly similar. But let me list the ways that they are phenomenally similar. First of all, what is the stolen object? In the case of Lavan, uh, it is Trafim. And if you look at the Ramban there, the Ramban says that Trafim are not like items of worship. Trafim are actually... um, There's some sort of divination item. There is some object which can be used to tell the future, maybe to tell the time, to tell the future, but that is what they're about. How about Yosef's cup? Is it just a beautiful goblet, or is it something else? Well, if you look at Perek uh Pasuk, hey, they say, (laughs) They say, In other words, it says, this is the cup from which my master drinks, and he uses for divination. In other words, in both cases, in both cases, we have the story where the thing which is stolen is divination. Let me give you another example. Um, In both stories, we have the word tov and ra. In our story with the brothers, it says, lama shilam tem ra'a tachat tova. Why are you paying back bad for the good I've paid you? And in the story with Davan, it says, Pentadaberim Yaakov mitov adra, mitov adra. says it twice in that story. So we've got linguistic connections, but I think the most interesting one is obviously the the claim which is made when Yaakov is accused by Lavan, and he's accused that somebody's stolen something. Uh, we all remember what he says. He says, "If you find anything, if if anybody has this, um, he should die." Right you remember this? Um it says it in Exodus plummet there, Imashetim im saitalacha lo yichya neged And here interestingly another word, Hakerlacha ma imadivakachwach. Okay, if you find anything, that person will not live. And of course it says, veloyada yakov kirachel ganaftam, in other words, let the thief die. Of course, the brothers say the same thing. In Perak Mendalad, Pasuk 10, it says, If you find it in any of us, that person will die. And of course, uh, the servants of Yosef say, no, 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 he won't die, he will become a, a, a slave. What is happening here? Why is there this parallel? What is this parallel saying? So I think it's very clear. We've claimed that Binyamin is a surrogate for Yosef, Binyamin comes down to Egypt with the same smells as Yosef and somehow Yosef sets up a a test with this goblet whereby we have a rerun of the story of Lavan just when the brothers think they're safe and out of trouble suddenly they're chased down and they're frisked and searched and they're wondering who is the person who is the culprit. Of course a generation earlier the the culprit was that troublemaker Rachel the younger one who stole her father's divination items and now somebody seems to have taken Yosef's divination items. And just like Yaakov said whoever is guilty will die the brothers say he will die. There's an amazing midrash about this in in Bereshit Rabbah where when they find the cup in Binyamin's sack the brothers turn around and they say, "Ma Ganva Bar Ganvata, you thief, you son of a thief." Um, in other words, this story raises all of the all of the tension between the Bnei Lea and the Bnei Rachel, the different factions in the family. We already know there is tension between the sons of Lea and the sons of Rachel, but now what's happening? They are coming down and taking care of Binyamin. And yet, Yosef orchestrates the situation where Binyamin is the troublemaker. He is bringing the whole family down. He is acting in a typical Rachel-like manner. And they can turn around and say, you thief, son of a thief. You are all full of your Rachelness. You Rachel people are nothing but trouble. You always bring down the family. In other words, Yosef is stoking up the heat to maximum. He's trying to say... Despite the fact that we're a Rachel, despite the fact that you hate us, are you going to remain as a family? And it is exactly at this point where they pass the test. That's when Yehuda steps forward. Yehuda, who knows how to take responsibility, by master the It's 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 Yehuda who offers himself to be a slave in Binyamin's place. It's Yehuda who stands forward. And says, Atem Yadatem Kishnaim Yaldali Ishti. Perak Mem Dalad Pasuk says, and he takes the words of Yaakov and says, You know that my wife had two children. Of course, Yudah is at this moment admitting that Rachel had a special, Rachel has a special status in Yaakov's eyes. And that his two children in some way were more special than his side of the family. And Yuda has taken all this on. Yuda understands it and he is capable of repeating it and he is capable of absorbing it. In other words, what I'm saying is that somehow in this story, the story has, at least at its start, resurfaced much of the guilt and much of the awareness of the sins of, of those 22 years before. And Yosef somehow, with the case of the, the goblet, puts Benjamin, who is the Yosef surrogate, through the same same test. And he really wants to test whether the brothers are going to simply jettison Benjamin. Are they going to abandon him? Yosef paints him with all the troublesome colors of the Bnei Rachel, who caused nothing but uh, distress and annoyance to the Bnei Lea. And he says, okay, and even if the Bnei Rachel are causing trouble once again, are you going to take responsibility of them? Are you going to accept that Yaakov holds them in special light? Or... Are you simply going to sell them down the river? And it is Yehuda who demonstrates his true leadership by understanding that the Bnei Rachel have a unique place in Yaakov's heart and that without understanding that, you can't understand why Yosef is so dear to Yaakov and why Binyamin is such a sensitive point for Yaakov. Yehuda passes that test. But if you think about it, once Yehuda has passed that test, Not only do we know that the brothers have freed themselves from their sins of 22 years earlier, that they have somehow uh, fulfilled the famous test of the Rambam, that if somebody finds themselves in the same situation and doesn't succumb to the same temptation, they have overcome their sin. I don't only think it's the fact that the brothers have overcome their sin and have in some way atoned. I think there's something else going on here. Let me explain. The selling of Yosef represents a deep rift in the family. One wonders how, had Yosef revealed his identity to the brothers earlier on, whether Yosef would have ever been able to re-enter the family. After all, there was so much um, suffering, so much distress, so much hatred. One wonders whether they ever would have been able to rejoin each other as a family, whether Yosef ever enter the family and ever look any of them in the, in, in the eyes, even afterwards, we read throughout Parsha VaYigash and VaYachiv that there is still tension between Yosef and his brothers, but they still manage to live as a family somehow together in Eretz Yisroaim in Goshen. However, I feel that this um, this scene with Binyamin and with Yehuda taking responsibility for Binyamin, and more than taking responsibility for Binyamin, with Yehuda acknowledging. And reporting back with a great sense of sympathy and a great sense of um, empathy, the fact that Yaakov has a special wife who has two special children, Yosef can now reveal his identity not simply because he breaks down. He can reveal who he is because now he understands that it is safe to enter the family. That some of the scars, some of the open wounds, are actually scarring over. The open wounds are not so open anymore that the family have grown up and they have moved beyond that enmity between Rachel and Le'ah, whatever hatred and friction there is between the Rachel and Le'ah, it has certainly developed and softened in the course of the years. And therefore, this is a process of healing. This is a process where not only are the brothers doing tshuva in the classic sense, in that they atone for the past, but they have healed the present, and this allows the future to happen. It allows Yosef to be able to re-enter the family, to say, Ani Yosef ha'oravichai, to be able to reveal his identity to his brothers, because he understands that his brothers have moved to a different point, a point where they can actually accept the place of Bnei Rachel within the family as a unit. So what we've seen through examination of a few choice phrases in this story is the way that this story presses all those buttons and it examines that sense of brotherhood that sense of vayakir vayitnaker, and how Binyamin as the surrogate for Yosef helps Yosef to be able to understand that the coast is clear to understand that the family have moved on and now that the family can reunite and be one once again thank you very much wishing you all A Chanukah and a Shabbat Shalom.